All right, good morning. Welcome to Center for Spiritual Living. Are you alive today? Why not, huh? We got to be something, and we might as well direct our state of being rather than have the environment direct our state of being. There's a thought for you. Rather than who's in the, the White House, it's who's in our house, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, I have my Tibetan bells. I'm going to invite you to just drop down into some silence with me. This is such a beautiful moment. This is the eternal moment. We only have now. And so I'm just going to say, wow, I see the face of God before me. And it's awesome, awesome, awesome. Beautiful. So as I sound these chimes, I'm going to just invite you. I'm going to time a little clock up there on the wall I can watch. We'll do 30 seconds. I'm going to sing a song, say a prayer, and we'll have a chat. So thank you so much for your support and love and being here today and being the presence of the, the divine upon this planet. So here we go. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so what I invite you to do in this moment is to open your heart, your consciousness and your being and allowing the words that I share, I don't know what the words are in this moment, but I know they show up as they should. Allow those words to be your words. If not, just let them wash over you. But you decide, you discern, you welcome or say no. But what I affirm and know in this moment on behalf of each person here and speaking in the I am, where the only place that I can influence anything is in my own consciousness. And you and I can step together in that, that vibration. But I know there is one life. That life is perfect, that life is God. And that life is my life now. And so what I affirm and know is every detail that is important for me to be made aware of is clarified in my consciousness and in my intellect. Every resource energetically that is appropriate for this moment and each moment hereafter, the right amount of energy, the right amount of stamina and resiliency, whatever it may be, insight and wisdom, whatever the divine, the highest ideal of who I can be in this moment in service to that possibility I know is here now. I give thanks for vibrant health. I give thanks for an abundant life with the resources and the means to be here in this environment at this time. We are in the 1% of the world of prosperity. 
And so I just give thanks for this beautiful country, for this beautiful city, and for the opportunities that lay before us, for the beautiful music that we celebrate this day, for the artistry, not just upon the stage, but within our community, the sleeping giants of possibility, people here to to awaken and to serve in ways that perhaps we can't even imagine at this point in time. But we say yes to all of it and more. For this I give thanks. I release these words in gratitude for the opportunity to spend this meaningful time, this purposeful time, this sacred time, this celebratory time together. And for this I give thanks. I invite you to say with me. And so it is. All right. Isn't that great? Here we got a guy presiding today that already has his playoff beard on for us, right? That is so cool. He's ready. Thank you, Charles. Charles came in today and we said, ah, we need a presider. He stepped up. So, beautiful. So if you see him slinking out early, it's because he's already heard this amazing talk. I can't believe he would do that, but he might. Anyway, so what we're talking about today is you are always being guided even when it doesn't feel like that. Does it feel like that to you? Do you feel like you're always being guided even in those periods of, no? Okay, Barbie Lee's saying no back there. I see the head going. But we are. We're always being guided. So I want to have that conversation today. I've been using this beautiful book by this young, beautiful young lady that uh, Charles mentioned in the announcements, The Universe Has Your Back, Gabrielle Bernstein. And uh, we're going to use it for another bit because there's just wonderful things to spring off in there. What I've discovered in reading it is Gabrielle is very much attached to the Course in Miracles work. And, that, and that's lovely material and it's very nice. It's a very parallel path to what we uh, uh, teach and express here. And the opportunity for me is to look at that and then to sort of draw out of what our tradition would say in parallel in support of the things and the insights that she's, she's expressing. So, what I, I've done, there's, a, uh, there's seven points, there's seven main points in the chapter, but to strip it down a bit and to consolidate and make it a little uh, easier to grasp some of the, the uh, salient points, I've narrowed it down to three key points, which are recognizing and accepting, emotions, and unity and faith. Because I think faith based in unity and oneness is quite a bit different than sort of this arbitrary idea that we believe in something. And of course, we honor all traditions here, as I said. But the unitive consciousness is a bit more unique to how we approach spirituality. So in this um, recognizing and accepting at the beginning of this chapter, it's chapter three in her book, by the way, she talks about her friend Lance. She uses this description. First, she says, you're always being guided even when it doesn't feel like it. And then she says, the world is your classroom and other people are your assignments. Isn't that an interesting way to look at it? Wow. So we're all each other's assignments. I mean, isn't it interesting that we, 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 there's so many people on the planet? And then what are, what are the, I've always said this, this church stuff would be so much easier if I didn't have congregants. But here we are. It would. Anyway, so with Lance's story, her friend Lance tells the story of Lance, and Lance had an error belief. So you'll hear me talk about error beliefs or, or misidentities. Lance's error belief was that he wasn't smart enough. And so Lance, in order to numb that sense of, I'm not smart enough, uh, self-medicated with alcohol. And so spent a lot of time in his life getting drunk and numbing the pain. Anybody here know anybody that's ever done that? Yeah. And so, isn't, we're just amazing, aren't we? How do we, how do we create such judgment and, and torture ourselves the way we do? Where, where did this all start? I guess if you look back over history, you know, if you look at things like the, um, 
Oh, golly, I won't go there. I wasn't going to go there today. But back, you know, in the 12th century where they, you know, they burned people at the stake. I mean, the stuff that we've done to one another as a, as a race is just incredible. So thank God we're not doing that anymore. But anyway, Lance believed he wasn't smart enough. And so uh, Gabrielle met him and they became close friends. Yeah, about two years into sobriety, they became close friends and they got to know one another. And so all of a sudden, Lance steps into this beautiful relationship with this new woman. And it's just this great thing. You know how new relationships are. That's, Scott Peck calls it the cathecting. You know, Freud used to say it wouldn't work with anybody that had fallen in love recently because they were crazy. And I think that's true. So um, when, you, you know, when the cathecting is over, come see me because then the real work starts. But anyway, Lance got in this relationship, and one of the things that this amazing uh, partner had that was a problem for Lance was she had this amazing sense of humor, and when Lance would do things that would, in some way, shape, or form, uh, trigger, I'm not smart enough, she would, she would share a funny antidote, or she would sort of highlight it. And what she didn't realize is it was driving Lance crazy. And he finally went to Gabrielle, and he said, I gotta break up with her. This is not working. This is just horrible, horrible, horrible. And she said, hold it, hold it. So, she said, you know, we, we, what we need to do is we need to look at this. This is an opportunity. This isn't a curse. This isn't you being punished. And so, the first two things that she talks about in this is that, number one is to recognize it and name it. And I want to talk a little bit about that, and then I'll go back to Lance's story about accepting the assignment, because I think that's important. But recognizing and naming it. So, in other words, we've got a problem, we've got an issue, we've got an error belief that gets triggered. And so the tendency is, as Lance did, let's numb it, let's avoid it, let's pray over it. I mean, we can even use spiritual practice to deny it. I mean, and that, I think, is one of the major traps. You know, what, you know it's like the religious scientist that dies and go to, goes to hell, and he's standing in the corner fanning himself, saying, it's not hot, and I'm not here. It's not hot, and I'm not here. It's not hot, and I'm not here. <laughs> it's an extreme example of spiritual bypass, okay? So anyway... In this, I, and so I want to just touch briefly on what the Buddhists call labeling or noting. And it's a very simple, simple practice, but very powerful. And it can be so useful. So in this practice of labeling or mental noting, it in contrast to most thinking, noting is not discursive, which means it doesn't ramble, it's not meandering. It's very, very direct, simple. It does not involve analysis or judgment. Rather, we simply give our current experience a one-word label. For example, upon hearing a sound, we note and say to ourselves, hearing, I'm hearing, without thinking further about the sound. Another common mental notes are seeing, touching, feeling, and thinking. Some experiences may be given more descriptive labels. For example, sensations may be noted as warmth, coolness, pressure, tightness, and so on. Emotions may be named happiness, sadness, excitement, fear. Mental activity may be recognized as wanting, planning, resisting, and the like. With mindfulness of breathing, a common note is rising of the belly as chest lifts on the inhale and falling as the exhale. Usually a specific note is repeated until the experience being noted disappears. So you just note it and note it and note it until it disappears. So you bring awareness to it. It's what Eckhart Tolle talks about in The Power of Now. Is when the pain body comes up is that you're with it and you observe it. And what we're doing in that process, and it's uncomfortable because it, you know, we, we don't want to feel those things, is that we're starting to make the unconscious conscious. That's the only way through it. So that's why emotions are so uh, important in, in the distractive mind. The way we bring that wild horse of our emotions under control is we as the driver, the master of our carriage, uh, begin to direct it more effectively. It doesn't run away. 
When we're in our emotions, it's like a wild horse taking us wherever it wants to go. And many, that's a very popular uh, practice for many people. That's why people want to numb. So he, he continues here in this, this bit of dissertation around this idea of, of labeling. So the, the, one of the primary functions of this is to keep the meditator present. So it's a practice really wonderful in meditation when the busy mind gets going. Sometimes it's an anchor to be present. The mind is less likely to wander off if one keeps up a steady stream of relaxed noting. Oh, there I am worrying. There I am stressing. There I am blaming. There I am feeling guilty. Whatever it may be, but when we name it, it creates a bit of a distance for us. And it's very, very subtle and very powerful. Because all of a sudden, we're not it anymore. Oh, that's me being this. That's me identifying myself as this, as lacking or not smart enough in Lance's case. And in fact, Lance is plenty smart. He says, and in this labeling, it's better to acknowledge or recognize what is occurring. The clearer one's recognition, the more effective one's mindfulness. Naming can strengthen recognition. And so when we recognize it, and this is what Gabrielle's talking about, recognize and name it. The same, the same principle. Sometimes this can be a truth-telling when we're reluctant to admit something about ourselves. So one is it keeps us present. The other is it's truth-telling. The third one, it helps recognize patterns in one's experience. A frequently repeated note reveals a frequently recurring experience. So there are themes in our lives. For example, persistent worriers may not realize it until they see how often they worry. You know? I, boy, I can relate to that one. I mean, that was my spiritual practice for years and years, worrying about, you know, there's always too many. I always had more days left in the month than I had paycheck. And so then I would calculate and worry and worry and worry about how do I get to the end of the month because, you know, what I have ends here and the month's way out there. The fourth, as described above, mental noting gives the thinking mind something to do rather than leaving it to its own devices. So once again, we're directing our awareness. We're saying, oh, there I am. There I am distracted. There I am being whatever it may be, but, I, you know, I choose not to do that right now. It's very much an intentional neglect of things that serve no purpose. So simple, but I think it's a nice way of tying in what Gabrielle's talking about here. And then she says accepting the, so it's recognizing and then it's accepting the, the assignment. She calls it the assignment that, that we are here and that everyone else is, a, it's a classroom and other people are our assignments. And so we bring in the people in, that are our assignments into our lives to play these things out at the soul level. But the, the accepting the assignment, so with Lance, Lance was going to break up with his girlfriend. She said, stop, don't do that. There's something here for you to know. And I'll give you another example of Lance. But it was understanding there was something for Lance to, to experience in this relationship. And what I know about this is if we're, in, we're having those challenges in our relationships, and we've all had them, have you noticed that if you just simply walk away, you, you tend to create the same thing over again? It just takes a little bit longer. And then you have the same experience. Unless the consciousness changes, you're just going to bring another, another assignment into your life to play it out with you. And, so, and sometimes we do need to end the relationship. Sometimes it's not appropriate to be in that environment when we're in harm's way. But many what will happen is those patterns by right of consciousness will keep bubbling up. Gabrielle talks about the next step in this, uh, um, uh, about accepting Touching on that again, it says, she says, you can postpone it, but you cannot avoid it. It's inevitable. It's one of the reasons that I, I finally got onto this path with a, with a uh, commitment and a devotion, because I realized as much as I loved the teaching, I was still repeating a lot of patterns I didn't like, and I realized, you know, I need to, I've got to find a way to make more, this more of my life. 
But, but the offer to me and the opportunity was, my teacher said, you can postpone it, but you'll never avoid it. You can run with fear. Fear, the a- acronym for fear, as she points out, fear everything and run or show up for the assignment with grace and trust. Because if we know something's got our back, why wouldn't we trust that? There's nothing to fear. Boy, that's another one my teacher told me over and over again because I kept coming in and arguing for the fear. That's scary. And she used to chuckle and say, there's nothing to fear. Well, easy for you to say. But she was right, and, and, and repetition is important. So, Gabrielle, so moving to the, this idea of feelings, or well, I want to share this slide with you because this is one of my favorite Dr. Ernest Holmes quotes. You've, I, you've heard me say it in a different way, but this is the actual how it's written, and it's in the wisdom, uh, the Holmes papers of wisdom. It says, if you look at the thing you are afraid of until you really understand it, it will no longer have any element of fear for you. You've heard me say over the years, Dr. Holmes said we must look at a thing long enough until it no longer has power over us. Well, this is the quote, actually, of what it is. If you look at the thing you're afraid of until you're ready to understand it, it will no longer have any elements of fear for you until you really understand it. And I think that's so true. So here's a guy that taught affirmative prayer, but he's not saying pray over everything. He's saying, you know, look at it. Because the truth of our being is we are eternal. We're on this journey. Our success is, in, is inevitable. When what happens when we start to wake up and we start to, to participate in it more consciously and make the unconscious conscious, we accelerate the process of the ever-becoming. This comes out of the Holmes um, um, wisdom papers. But it's also why labeling can be valuable because it helps distance us, distance us and give us a, as a perspective of not identifying with that thing and accepting the truth. The truth of our being is, the truth of our being is we are all individualized expressions of the one. As he said, I was reading him this morning in uh, uh, Discovering a Richer Life. And uh, he said, you know, we are all the sons and daughters of the beloved. Each one of us. I mean, that was the message of the, this great teacher Jesus, what he had to share. He wasn't the great exception. He was the, the great example for all of us. So trusting that the universe never gives you what you cannot handle. Sometimes it feels like it's more than we can handle, right? But there's something within us. And so these, these error beliefs play themselves out in life. With Lance, he brought the perfect person in to, to mirror back to him his error belief. Um, Gabrielle talks about in the next grouping of emotions, going to emotions, feel the pain that lives beneath, or feel the, pain, the, feel the feelings that live beneath the old pain. What are the feelings down there? To look at that, to stop and presence it. And using that labeling to go, oh, there I am getting scared again. What am I afraid of here? What's going on here? What wants to be healed here? Calling on compassion to clear the path. A wonderful story from a beautiful writer and, and a Zen Buddhist by the name of Adashante. And um, I'm probably going to use this book. It's called Falling from Gr- Into Grace. I love the title. Falling Into Grace. But Adashante uh, is a, I don't know how old he is. He's probably in his late 40s, early 50s, but he's just a remarkable guy. And I've, I've uh, um, you know, touched upon his work many times in my journey. But he tells a story about finding freedom even in the most difficult moments. So I want to share this with you. I think it's a great example of how emotions and being present with them are really a gift. 
So he's talking in here. I'm going to tell the story a bit, and then I'll read you the really important parts because it's hard for me to tell the story, and the text gives me some some foundation. But when he was in his mid-20s, he had a dog, and he loved this dog. And the dog and he went everywhere together. When he'd come home, the dog would follow him into every room, and when he traveled in the car, the dog went with him, and he just loved this animal to pieces. And they were just wonderful companions. And he said he came home. um, He said we were together most of the time. And all of a sudden, the dog started to develop a form of epilepsy. And he says, so I took him to the vet, and we tried to give him medication to treat it, but the question of how much medication to take or not to, uh, is sort of an art. And so we were just starting to treat him, and after a few weeks, came home, and he was in the midst of an epileptic fit. And it wouldn't stop. It just kept going on and on and on. And so painful to watch this animal. He loves suffering. And finally, over a period of time, and trying to you know, manage it with, with medication, they realized that it was unmanageable, and he had to put the dog down. And so he said, I've experienced some amount of grief in my life. I've had grandparents die and friends die, and sometimes people very close to me die. But I was never affected like I was when I lost this great companion. I found myself in deep sorrow, a sorrow that I couldn't really understand because I'd never experienced it before. So one afternoon, some friends and I and a family went out in the backyard for a final goodbye. I had my dog collar and a few other things that had belonged to him. And we put them in a box. I had written out what I wanted to say. And as I began to read his eulogy, he said, I just began to weep. Tears just started pouring out of my eyes. And at some point, the grief was so immense that I decided to just completely give into it. I completely let go of this great well of sorrow and grief. I was crying and crying while still trying to continue with the eulogy. And then something very mysterious happened, something that I didn't expect at all. Right in the middle of this immense grief and sadness, right at the point of the heart, at the point of the heart in my chest, there was this very small pinprick of light. And right in the midst of this pinprick of light, there was a smile. I could literally almost see a smile in my mind in this pinprick of light. And when it started, it was just a small point within this vast expanse of grief and sorrow. But as I kept crying, as I kept speaking the eulogy, this point of happiness began to expand. After a few minutes, this point of happiness had vastly grown and become absolutely immense. And there was this very strange paradoxical experience. On the one hand, I was enmeshed in this deep state of grief and sadness, But at the very same moment, there was a greater happiness and a greater sense of well-being than I'd ever experienced before in my life. It was one of the most profound experiences I'd ever had. What it revealed to me was that even in the deepest states of darkness, even in the most intense states of loss, grief or depression, we can find some measure of happiness and well-being when we're really open to the difficult feelings. When we really let go of our resistance, when we completely let go of trying to contain those painful experiences, when we finally just allow them to be there, to be as overwhelming as they may want to be, the peace and happiness can arise when we profoundly let go, when we really decide to stop struggling. So isn't it interesting when we come to those moments, but how many people allow themselves the opportunity for that? How many people, and that's a call of compassion, as in this uh, slide with the emotions, feeling the feelings that live beneath the old pain. And many times, because we've stopped things, when we have an event like that where we crack open, a lot of other stuff comes up with it. That's why sometimes it's, it's important when we have those experiences to have friends around, have somebody that can hold the space with us. Because the other tendency is for people when that happens, if people, see, we can't go somewhere that we already, take somebody with us where we haven't already gone. 
So a lot of times when that happens, you'll, you may be with people who say, oh, don't do that, don't do that, get over that, get over that, come on, come on, come on. I just did a memorial service yesterday. And I always speak about that when I do a memorial service. I said, uh, statistics show that one-third of people are super supportive and are just there with you, presence it. One-third are completely lost, they don't know what to do. And the other third are actually uh, not helpful. Uh, they'll say things like, get over it, what's wrong with you? Huh, get on with life. And, it, and everybody does it in their own way. But, but I, I love this story that Adashante shares because when we have the grace, as Gabby says, the grace to show up in life and be present with who we are, you know, sometimes it triggers those, those deep wounds of childhood, whatever it may be, or I'm not enough, or there's not enough, or whatever it may be, or his sense of loneliness, losing his beautiful dog. But I, I've had, and the reason that I'm so touched by this is I've had those experiences. There have been times in my life where I thought, I, can't, I don't think I can get through this. And, and, and then just simply by moving. It happens for me a lot of times when I just walk. I remember one period of time in my life where I was just at the point where I was so overwhelmed with, with everything happening and everything falling apart. And I said, you know, I know what I can do is walk from here to the front door. It wasn't in Edmonton. It was years ago. But it was a great moment for me. And, and, and doing that, I, and I had to live like that. It was just like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm addicted to these feelings. I'm not drinking, I'm not doing drugs, but I'm, man, I'm really addicted to these emotions and they're overwhelming. And it was in a moment like that where I just kept doing it minute by minute. Because sometimes we just gotta live our lives minute by minute. You know, they say a day at a time. I was doing it a minute at a time. And in the middle of that, there was an opening of grace and, and, and well-being that had no good reason to show up. And I thought, isn't that amazing? To me, this is a miracle. This is a miracle. And so I just share with you, and when he shared that story, I thought, oh, I remember that. Oh, so powerful. So it's, it's transformative. And that's, a, and that's compassion for oneself. It's being kind to oneself. Have you been kind to yourself today at all? Have you given yourself an attaboy? You know, there's a lot of people that are still home in their pajamas right now. In fact, let's whip out our cell phones and call one of them right now and see what they're doing. <laughs> Ernest Holmes says, each of us is one with it and as much of it, and it means the thing itself, which means the infinite, which means Father, Mother, God. Each one of us is one with it and as much of it as he or she, I will say, he always used he, but he or she incorporates in our own consciousness shall flow through us as power, as love, as joy. He understood that. He was, a, he was a, an amazing man. And he lived, for the most part, in that divine, unbroken connection with the infinite, the truth of life. Each one of us is one with it. Right now we're one with it. What keeps us from having that experience? The, la, the, less, the, the third piece I want to share with you today is this idea of unity and faith. Unity and faith. Placing your, your, your uh, faith in the universe, as Dr. Holmes said, we're, it, we're already there. It's not something we earn. It's something, nothing to heal, something to reveal. This divine per perfection that operates within all of us. Place your faith in the universe. Take care of your side of the street. So what does that mean? Well, an example of it is Lance. Lance went to his girlfriend and said, you know, I, I gotta break up with you or I gotta have this conversation. And so he told her, he said, you know, when you do these things, when you say these things to me, you're driving me crazy. And what he did was he allowed himself to be vulnerable. He just allowed himself to say, you know, when this happens, this is what's going on for me. 
And so, as, as Gabrielle writes, they had an opportunity to find a moment of healing for both of them because they both were playing something out together. They had come together as their assignments. And so they didn't stay together, but they had their healing so they could both get on with their lives and move forward. So they ended it with grace and love and said, wow, you know, thank you so much for tempting me not to love you, basically was what was going on. And to help me recognize the patterns within my own life So quite fascinating. Welcoming the healing. Asking ourselves when these things happen, what wants to be healed here? What's the pattern here? What is this this emotion that gets triggered within me? What trance of awareness have I fallen asleep in? Great question to ask. What trance? And so great little points that Gabrielle brings out, little pieces that we can kind of build a a, uh, practice around. Dr. Holmes would say this about it. The way to get rid of fear is through the cultivation of faith. A faith founded on the thought that God is all there is. God is all there is. Within us, around us, every aspect of life is God. I was listening to a a Lutheran minister on the way up this morning. I came up here real early. And and he said, you know, there's never before on the planet there have been more people that say they don't believe in God. And he said, and I thought this was quite quite uh, wise of him. He said, it's not that they don't believe in God. They just don't believe in the God that they've been, they've been told they should believe in. You know, they look at the world and they see the things going on, people, pe- good people be suffering. How would God do that? I mean, why, you know, I mean look at the newspaper. And, and, and yet, that's, a, that's that Sunday school perception of God. If we understand God's in all of it, what looks dark and what looks light, but, but it's the, that's what teaches what, what the celebration of joy as well. And it's our opportunity and any moment to step into the joy and to be a presence of, of, of love and possibility and opportunity. That's never held back from us. We're the ones that, that hold ourselves back from that. Dr. Holmes said the, the same things that have, the same laws that have trapped you and made you, it put you into bondage are the same laws of life that will free you. And it is shifting perception. It is waking up and understanding. Just like Lance, he wanted to get away from this woman because it was too painful. And he realized, wait a minute, this is my opportunity. Adashante losing the sorrow of the dog and all of a sudden his heart being cracked open and he realized, oh my God, there's a grace even in this. It doesn't mean he doesn't love the dog as much as he did. It doesn't mean that he's not mourning and sad. But also the, the reminder that life's eternal and those that we love, those that we're connected with are always with us. So I want to just uh, uh, share with you a wonderful... Um, okay, I'm going to show you the review real quick. Here's the seven points that Gabby has in the book up on a slide, recognize the assignment and call it by name. So she talked about fear, and she used Lance as an example. Except you cannot avoid the assignment, and it's inevitable. Honor your feelings, because they're worthy, whatever they may be. Have the courage, capacity to be with them. Call on compassion, especially for yourself. Practice it with yourself, you can practice it with others. Place your faith in the universe, we're not alone. This is not a, a solo journey. Take care of your side of the street, which is what is mine to do here? What is the, the most challenging thing I may have to do in this moment? And welcoming healing. What wants to be healed here? If this has been put into my life, then I know that whatever it takes for this to be transformed, I'm also gifted with that and live in that. 
Dr. Holmes has a beautiful prayer. I was going to read you Gabby's prayer at the end of this chapter, but it's, her prayer is really one of separation. It's about duality. And I thought, I'm not, you know, love you and thanks for your ideas, but I'm not sharing that prayer because that's how I used to pray. You know, well, I didn't pray like that. I used to beg and plead, but... but uh, But Dr. Holmes wrote this, I think it's up on the screen behind me. God is one, not two. In this one, we are included, not excluded. For we are individualized centers in the consciousness of God. And since there is only one final person, God, which is an energy, not a personality, not a man, both male and female, it's, it's an energetic principle. We all live as personalities in that person. This means our personality is the use we are making of a divine individuality that has been given us, the use we are making of our creative nature. Love that. Love that. It speaks to unity. It speaks to the possibility of creativity and opportunity. So I just want to um, let you know that we have just an amazing community here, and there's a lot of uh, things that are are percolating that are going to happen around creativity. So Martin and Anthony came to us a few weeks back and said, we would like to do a series of concerts here at the center. We'd like to bring 200 people in every month, once a month. We're going to now start it in May. I just spoke with the fellas there. They have an artist that has performed at the Folk Fest. It's going to be the first uh, act. And what we're going to do is we're going to monthly, we want to bring in 200, sell 200 tickets, hopefully to some people that don't know about us. I'm going to MC, so I have an opportunity to welcome and let people know who we are. Um, and then uh, a portion of the proceeds will go towards community outreach, uh, finding good causes. And we're going to call it uh, a Concert at the uh, Center, um, Community Outreach, Paying It Forward. I think that's what we've landed on. But I think it's a wonderful way to invite people in and realize, you know, we're not in here cutting the heads off chickens, you know, <laughs> or, or whatever they think we're doing. We are here about helping people build lives that are, that are meaningful and powerful that we don't believe that, you know, every tradition has value. Every tradition that that operates on a peaceful and and cooperative and collaborative level of of service in the the world is important. We support that. So I just want to let you know I'm very, very excited about that opportunity because I think it's going to invite some people into our community that perhaps wouldn't come otherwise. And we stand for artistry. We stand for the creative process. And here's Martin, who's going to be opening. I got this wrong at the first service, but he's going to be opening for Sarah McLaughlin at Rogers Center. She's coming. So. There he is. Okay. Martin Kerr. Yeah. 